Welcome to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ear. I'm Vin, the associate producer here at Starista. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders and get their take on the current challenges of the market, and we'll have a little fun along the way. In today's episode, Vincent and AJ meet with Jesse Bayer, Senior Vice President of Marketing at DDB. He discusses growth within long-term brand effects and short-term sales effects, and how marketing can grow but stay unchanged. AJ recovers from a tennis injury, and Vincent takes a fall in Dallas. Give it a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Starista's The Marketing Stir. I, of course, am your host, the Vice President of B2B Products, and still Interim General Manager. They haven't taken that title away from me. I'm keeping it as long as I can of Starista Vincent Petrofessa. It is so great to be here. Let's talk about Starista for just one second. That's all. We're not advertiser driven. I'm just going to talk about Starista for a moment. Pay the bills, as they say in the business. Who are we? Starista, we are a marketing technology company. We focus on identity. We have our own business to business data, our own business to consumer data. People utilize that data to target, to get new customers. Who doesn't want new customers? Also, we have our own DSP, Adster. We can help execute media to our data or your data. Display, OTT, connected TV. Email me. I rhymed. That's crazy. That's how confident I am. Vincent at Starista.com that we can help you. The other thing I'm confident in is my co-host and my, I call him my commander in chief because he's my CEO here at Starista, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's going on, AJ? Hey, Vincent. Um, had a pretty crazy weekend, not as crazy as yours. And I'm looking forward to learning more about yours. But uh, yeah, we had a tennis tournament, but it was uh, got fairly heated. There were all sorts of uh, uh, almost fist fights breaking out and all, all, wow. all the things you don't associate with uh, tennis, but it's a tournament that brings together uh, pretty much every tennis player in San Antonio and Austin. So there's a lot of rivalries and uh, thing, things get heated. So it turns out, uh, turns out half the people love us and the other half really want us to lose. Hey, that's the sign of a, a successful, no one likes everyone, right? <laughs> so that's, uh, that's it. You know, people, people are like, you guys are what? Like the Tom Brady of <laughs> uh, San Antonio tennis, the, the, uh, the program you're in. How's your MCL? Is it the MCL? It, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's getting better. So I uh, probably shouldn't have played a match, but I needed to, to qualify for the tournament. So I, uh, uh, I put myself at one of our ringers, so he made sure uh, he made sure we won. So, <laughs> yep, nice doubles. He kind of hey, lean over a little bit to my side, sort of thing. <laughs> He's that tall, so he he can cover three fourths <laughs> of the court, cover a lot of ground. Let me tell you really quick, AJ, uh, and, and our guest in in the marketing stir world. Let me tell you about my crazy weekend. You might have remembered me saying that me and my buddies we take a trip every year to a new stadium to see the New York Giants. So this year we went to Dallas and me and five of my friends from New York, we went to Dallas. It's going to be great. We get there day one. We're only a few hours in 
And we're talking about the good old days. We're talking about, hey, remember when I used to run a 4.640? Remember this? Uh, I was fast too. No, you weren't. Bah, bah, bah. Uh, I'm still fast. No, you're not. Let's race. So me and some of my friends were starting, like, let's race each other. I will tell you, alcohol was not involved. That's the sad part. Like, we were just just there. Now, I'm 43 years old. My friend is 42. We're like, let's race. Okay, we go out into the sidewalk. This is in broad daylight. Um, I'm stretching. Little do I know is my friend plays basketball every day. He doesn't look like a basketball player. Uh, he's, 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 you know, short uh, little guy. You could be short and play basketball. I know. I just uh, said, but you know, I was like, Steve plays basketball. So we go and we're, we're about to race. And I realized that I'm coming to the end of this race and I start to fall. I think I tweak my hamstring a little bit. I fall on the concrete. So I get, uh, I get a, a scratch. That's nothing here. You can see in the, the audience. Then I see this here. And then I'm like, oh, all right. My elbow's a little messed up. It's fine. Put some ice on it. Then we started having some drinks. Um, that's Saturday. We go to the game the next day, Monday, we're coming back. I say, let me call my orthopedic. I don't have an orthopedic. Thank goodness. But let me look at one. I get an orthopedic and then I get an x-ray. I broke my arm. I broke my, this bone here, but as you can see, I don't have a cast on it. So the doctor's like, you don't need a cast. I'm like, what do you mean? I don't need a cast. And everyone kept asking me, like, what kind of doctor is this? Did you, he, was he at a bodega? No, he's the chief of surgery specializing in arms at New York Presbyterian. So not only is my hamstring tweaked, I broke my arm. Even if I won the race, which I did not, did I really win? You never win. So that, my friends, was my weekend in Dallas and the Giants lost the game. Giants players were injured. I'm sure they got casts, but I did not. So that is my story. And that's what happened, AJ. Well, I think uh, you would do well to uh, not run around like you're 20. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to run ever again. Uh, I'm never going to run. I'm not even just in, in, in place. I'm not going to do the running man. I'm not doing any of it. Um, but well, enough, yeah, 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 no, I mean, you know, not everyone can always be 28. No, no, but you know, then even those 28 year olds tear their MCL, don't they? <laughs> uh, or, or, or hurt their MCL. Oh man. But that was my weekend. Let's move on to something that doesn't hurt. That's enjoyable. And that <laughs> is our next guest, ladies and gentlemen. He is calling and joining in from Chicago area. One of my, my second favorite city, actually. They, I don't know if they call it second city for that reason. I don't think they do. But it is my second favorite city behind good old New York. Ladies and gentlemen, please, a warm marketing stir. Welcome for the Senior Vice President Marketing Strategy at DDB, Jesse Bayer. What's going on, Jesse? How are you doing today? Doing all right. You know, I'm in a little pain. I got to tell you, uh, no cast. And they're just like, I was like, do I take anything for this? They're like, Tylenol? I'm like, what <laughs> kind of doctor is this? But he's a great doctor. Shout out to Dr. Pay. 
if you are listening to the marketing stir, which I don't think you are, but uh, doing well, Jesse, considering uh, going to my first networking event tonight, DMCNY, looking forward to hosting the Silver Apple Awards on November 4th, but I'm great. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. And as a Dallas native, I will say, I, I am sorry that you fell. I am not very sorry that your, your giants fell, but it is what it is. <laughs> It is what it is. You know, this isn't the Giants year. I'll tell you what, though. Dallas, great people. The stadium is beautiful. I don't know if you've been to AT AT&T Stadium. What a party. It makes our stadium. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, our stadium is garbage compared to that stadium. It's a party. Dallas looks good. They beat us fair and square. Had some good barbecue at Terry Black's uh, there. It was uh, it was fun. Uh, Jesse, let's get right into it here. Uh, I, you know, talk to us about DDB first of all. Uh, obviously, I'm familiar with it, but I want my audience here to understand DDB, your role within the organization, because you know, strategy. I love it. It's it's the first of its kind as far as uh, one of our guests here. So, talk to us about the organization. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about your particular role. Sure. So, uh, so DDB, uh, Doyle Dane Bernbach, for those of you who aren't, aren't advertising uh, historians, but uh, DDB, one of the oldest and most well-respected agencies in the world, um, founded on creativity, right? So creativity at our core. Actually, one of the most famous quotes from our, one of our founders, Bill Bernbach, was that creativity is the most powerful force in business. And I think we all believe within the organization that that still holds true today across every category. Uh, every sector that creativity is still one of those legal ways to gain advantage. And so as the senior vice president of, of marketing strategy, my role within the agency is to find new ways for creativity to actually enable competitive advantage for our clients. Um, those clients, you know, run the gamut from, from CPG companies to, um, to, to brewers, to service agencies, to, uh, to the, the U.S. Army. Yeah, I, I love it. And then um, tell us about how you got into this business, Jesse. That's one of the questions we always love asking our guests. It's one of our uh, two staple questions that we ask. Um, we'd love to hear that journey. Sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, I think it's an interesting story. At least it is an interesting story to, to me, but I guess the way that anyone got into their career is probably interesting to them. Um, a fairly straight line for me. I actually decided that I wanted to work in, in marketing and advertising when I was in high school. Uh, so this will date me a little bit, but I thought the best way to uh, plan for that career when I was in high school was that uh, one day I got home and I decided to pull the yellow pages out of the drawer and go to advertising agencies and start calling them, see who would talk to me, right? See, see who I could actually have a conversation with about what I thought I was going to do when I grew up. And uh, as you can imagine, I got a, a lot of very uh, typical responses to a, a teenage kid calling around and seeing if anybody could talk to him about, about career planning. But as, as luck would have it, I had, I had, you know, I had one agency that put me through to a couple of guys named Rich Flora and Glenn Gill, and they were copywriters at, a, at the largest agency in Dallas. And they actually invited me down to the agency uh, to have a conversation. And so I, uh, one day, a couple of weeks later, drove down to the agency and they spent over an hour with me just 
talking about how they got into the business, talking to me about campaigns, talking to me about how they go about coming up with campaigns, running some ideas by me that they were working on to get my thoughts and just really treating me like, like someone that already worked there. And so I was pretty much hooked from that day. Um, They actually gave me some assignments to go work on just, you know, faux assignments to just see how my brain worked and, and to bring those back and, and kept in touch with me over the years. And so, you know, fast forward to, I go on to college, I do internships every year uh, as I'm going through college <clears throat> at different agencies and, and I graduate in the middle of a recession, right? So it was not an ideal time. I think a lot of people that are probably listening to uh, the marketing podcast these days can identify with coming out of school during a recession and how hard that is to, to get a job. And so I went and uh, ended up, you know, doing what a lot of us do is go bartend and wait tables while you're, uh, while I was working on my book, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, and then lo and behold, one day I get a call from one of those gentlemen, Glenn Gill, who's at an agency and says, hey, our agency is, is loosening up. We're starting to hire entry-level positions. If you want, I'll put in a word for you and see what happens. And he did, and I got a job, and that was my first real gig, and it was also at DDB. So I've come kind of full circle there. Oh, wow. Love it. Love that. Yeah, good, good guys. So you've worked at a number of large, well-known uh, brand names and agencies. So what's kind of some of the work experiences that you think have been most important uh, in your career? It's a great question. Um, you know, that's, I think one of the advantages of working at, at large agencies is they do afford you to have some pretty amazing experiences. And, and I've been fortunate enough to have a, a few over my, my career. So um, I would say I've you know, some of the ones that stand out most to me, uh, getting to work with, with uh, Rory Sutherland and, and Clive Serkin and, and pioneer some groundbreaking applications of behavioral science in marketing, which was quite interesting to, to me. And being able to work with them, I think was, was amazing. Um, at, at DDB here, I've uh, been able to work with Les Bonnet, who's one of the, you know, the godfather of, of effectiveness and work with him to apply some of the principles of effectiveness on, on behalf of some of our largest clients. Uh, specifically, uh, one of the most iconic brands, I think, out there in State Farm. And then, and then just recently, uh, I think I mentioned it in the, in the opening that I'm, I'm starting to work with the Army team on a very, very different kind of creative challenge uh, for them in terms of, of recruitment. And I think collectively, all of those things for me have just been really rewarding because they, they represent very different ways to, um, and very unexpected ways to apply creativity and problem solving. And for me, that's what, that's what sort of gets me up in the morning and gets my blood moving. So you've been in marketing for a uh, very long time. And uh, what's, what are some of the changes that you are seeing that are happening over the last few years? And can you talk a little bit about some of the shift to ABM and precision marketing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think one of the things that that's at least interesting to, to me is that the more that we understand and the more that we're able to actually um, quantify within the realm of marketing and advertising, I think the more we understand that it's not changing that much, which is is maybe a, a bit a bit controversial, but. It, it's what's changes our ability to actually see and quantify some of the principles that have always remained unchanged. So 
you know, we know share a voice, consistency, um, you know, brand associations and managing distinct assets. All of those are still important and are always going to be massively important to driving growth. But I think one of the biggest changes that, that we've seen over the last few years is again, being able to measure some of those, the, the effects of some of those influences and also being able to quantify the relationship a bit between long-term brand effects and short-term sales effects. Um, I think interesting and, and pertinent to, to what you all do is that we've seen those same principles prove themselves out to be the drivers of effectiveness, not only in the B2C space, but also in the B2B space. Um, you know, if you're familiar with, with the, the B2B Institute that LinkedIn uh, had launched, they also worked with Les Bonnet uh, from DDB and, and Peter Field and, and basically applied those same principles and looking at the B2B audience and said, our brains work the same way. We respond to marketing in the same way. Uh, these same principles are, are just as effective on the B2B side as they are on the B2C side. So, so I think that to answer the question, um, you know, what's changed over the past few years? Not a whole lot. Like details have changed, but the principles have remained the same. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I also agree with the, what you said there about the B2B side is, you know, because it's people who make decisions, right? A lot of times it's like, oh, you have to market to an organization. Exactly. Well, it's people who have feelings and they're real people and they're going through the same thing you're going through during this, you know, crazy time these last two years. Uh, Jesse, talk to me about why the creative piece or the creative side uh, of marketing that you got into. What, what kind of drew you to that piece specifically? I don't know that I can put a, a finger on exactly what drew me to it, other than to say that I've, I've always found myself to be somewhat of a um, compulsive problem solver. I just uh, can't see a problem without trying to solve it. And I, I, you know, at, the, at the time that I got into the business, some of the most interesting problems were being solved by marketers, or at least some of the most um, interesting and relevant in, in the, in the, you know, in the sense of being relevant to people's everyday lives, right? Um, obviously, there are more important problems being solved in the world than, than marketing problems. But, um, you know, from, a, from someone who loved being creative and loved problem solving, advertising and marketing just seemed to be the, the world that put those two together. And I also think, um, you know, it, it, because it pulls together so many different pieces of you know, marketing is not just obviously advertising, right? It's, it's, it's products, it's distribution, right? It's, it's, it's a lot of the, you know, the marketing mix is broader than just advertising. So the relationship between all of those pieces is also interesting. And I think these days, and you guys probably see it in the, in the B2, B2B space as well, uh, you get to be more involved creatively in those other spaces instead of just sort of in your little niche. And, and that continues my interest in that creative space. And, as far as, you, how would you define some of the competitive advantages in marketing? And then I guess more specifically, can you talk a little bit about how DDB separates themselves uh, as an agency with, you know, obviously there's uh, other agencies out there, but talk to me about the importance of some competitive advantages in marketing. And then part two of that are some of your advantages at DDB. Sure. So I think... Competitive advantage uh, to me, it really comes down to, again, going back to the essence of our, of our agency being based in creativity, right? So if you say, how do you create competitive advantage on behalf of your clients? I think uh, 
a popular answer these days uh, can go to data or technology as, as being ways to create that advantage. And, and I completely agree that those are absolutely important aspects of, of creating an advantage, but I, but I think to strip away that in the beginning and to sort of look at the essence of the question and say, how do you create competitive advantage? You can't create competitive advantage without creating. And that means creativity is actually at the foundation of the advantage. And so data, technology, DDB, huge proponents of, of data-fueled creativity, right? Um, huge proponents of using new and emerging ad tech and martech technology to be able to be more creative, right? So we just sort of see those as enablers of, of the creativity that we bring to creating that advantage. Um, I don't see it as sort of the, the epicenter of it. I think that still falls in the creative space. So you still need people that are able to dissect a problem and look for creative ways to solve it. And then, uh, and, and data is a, a large part of, of dissecting that problem and, and finding that you know, way that to solve it that either your competitors aren't thinking about um, or you know, integrate a, a, a technology piece that allows you to solve it in a way they can't solve it, right? So both of those pieces is sort of being integral to the creativity, but yeah, unexpected creative solutions to, to known problems and uh, integrating data and technology wherever possible uh, to gain that advantage and sustain that advantage. Because as you guys know, trying to sustain a, techno, a, a tech advantage these days is, is a slippery slope, right? There's new technology every single day. Just see, are there certain mediums that you're seeing that have emerged over the last few years that are in hot demand and any, any, anything to watch out for, for marketers? As you said, technology is ever-changing in the next couple of years that you think will have a big impact on marketing. Yeah, I think another great question because we've seen a lot of change in, in the media space over you know last decade, last five years. And I think a lot of that driven by... Um, sort of pin this to the, to the last answer, driven by the need for better data, more data, and, and some of the technologies that are coming out that are allowing us to do more. So I think first and, first and foremost for me, um, I think hopefully we've learned that from an advertising and promotion standpoint, it's less about the media channel and it's more about driving the right outcome, right? And, and the right effect. Um, so the channel is certainly part of driving that, effectiveness, but it, it's more of a means to the end than the, than the end itself. So to answer the question, yes, we've seen uh, the rise of, of certain channels or certain, certain media. Um, a great example of that is connected TV or addressable TV. I think that we hopefully are seeing the understanding that creativity and context for, for the problem go hand in hand. And so there's, I think those, those new media or those uh, emerging media are just simply giving us new and unexpected ways to show up in context and to show up in unexpected ways. And we believe, at least at DDB, that that's the key to, again, gaining that advantage is if you've got an emerging, emerging technology or an emerging medium, um, and you can use that to show up where you couldn't show up before, or to show up in a way that you couldn't show up before, then that's just adding more fuel to our unexpected creativity. And, and that gives us an advantage and then it, we're able to pass that on to our clients. That makes sense. Uh, and 
you know, a lot of agency holding companies were affected by the pandemic and a lot of them are kind of coming back to uh, old levels of things were before the pandemic. How were you guys affected and how, what has changed for you guys because of the pandemic? So I think much like everyone else, um, absolutely had an, had an impact on us. I think the, the majority of the impact though was are, are probably differences that we see from the inside more so than, than differences that anyone would notice from the outside. So they're mostly operational uh, and experiential. So obviously the, the biggest of those is I'm talking to you right now from my home where I would be talking to you uh, probably from our, our studio in the, in the office, um, you know, if this was, was pre-pandemic. So we're all separated. Um, we're all working from home. And so that's a, you know, an operational or ex experiential difference, but I don't know that it is massively impacted the, the way that we work. So going in though, I would have said, if, if you would have told me before the pandemic, here's what's going to happen in a couple of years, predict how it's going to impact your industry. I would have predicted that the lack of in-person collaboration would have been more detrimental to our creativity. Just, I would have had an ingoing assumption that based on the way that we've worked in the past, that in-person collaboration and being present and around each other and being able to get in the same room and beat ideas up and, and you know, solve problems was essential to the way that we work. And I think credit to our creative roots, we were able to quickly pivot to a new way of working and everyone just sort of rolled with it. I'm sure much like, like you all did. And I think um, I would not have said that in the beginning that, you know, that, that creative folks wouldn't have craved that in person. I, I do still think we all wanna get back together and, and have that in-person connection. But I think what we've learned is that we can roll with it, right? Um, and I would, I would compare it much to the way that, you know, you would run a global account, right? So on a global account, you don't have the ability to be in every market with your team every day. You have to depend on phone and video conferences to interact with them. And you still have challenging problems to solve. So, you know, I, I, I don't think it affected us as much as, as it could have. And I think we're very fortunate to, to be in that position. Jesse, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, I love the story you told in the beginning about reaching out to going to the yellow pages, you know, yeah, I was around there in the yellow pages and AJ, we, we haven't been in marketing that long. You know, I heard the so many, many years comment, you know, Jesse and I have not been, um, We've know, been doing this long. since we were 10. So we're 10. Yeah. yeah. Look, we, that's it. We look great. So I, you know, cause I feel like a lot of things now where if, if you were to reach out, I always encourage our interns and to reach yeah. out to people. Now I think with LinkedIn, it's so easy, but you know, back then you got the brush off. It's, it's, um, it, it, they said, oh, you got one company and now look how that worked out. But, um, what type of skills, do you think, and then I love the path because that is a unique path, at least what we've been hearing is I studied marketing. I wanted to be in marketing. Here I am. Uh, a lot of other people like, I studied philosophy and now here I am. But talk to me about that skill that you had that, you know, know with all that say, hey, I want to be in this business. But what skills do you feel that people who want to get into marketing should have, or even people currently in marketing should possess? 
I mean, aside from, again, going back to the, the addiction to problem solving and, and creativity, right, which are sort of fundamental to, to doing what we do, I think the simplest way I could answer that question is to say that, um, is, is probably break it down and say, you're going to have an opportunity in, in this career to, to continually lead and to continually learn. And if you can, if you can balance those two and sort of have always have the two of them be in always on mode, you'll be very successful in your career. And I say that because, and this probably applies to, to many more instances than just advertising and marketing, obviously, but our industry evolves so fast, right? It's always changing. Um, more so, I think, than a lot of than a lot of industries, right? I think every industry is evolving, every category is, is evolving. I think our industry is sort of on the bleeding edge of a lot of that evolution, and our and our our innovation cycle happens very quickly, um, particularly on the Adec and Martech side. But leading, learning, understanding that both modes have to be on, um, understanding that. In the beginning of your career, it's probably a little bit more learning than it is leading. And, and in the back half, it's probably a little bit more leading than learning. But I feel like that's also a trap where if, if in the beginning of your career, you're sort of thinking, I have so much to learn. I, have, I don't know if I have much to, to give in terms of leadership. You're, you're probably selling yourself short on, on developing your leadership skills. And every category, every business, every agency needs, needs leaders desperately. Um, and then I think if you also lean toward the fact that on the back half of your career, you're going to, you don't need to be learning as much because you, you have more to offer in terms of your leadership. I think you're selling everybody else short because you're not learning from them and, and you're not continuing to evolve. And I think there's a, there's a really, really nice point in people's careers where they get the experience of an aged veteran along with a continuous learning mindset where they have a lot to then contribute to the folks that are coming up, as well as the fact that um, if you can just break that bias in your brain and look at that, that kid that's coming in with you know, one year of experience um, straight out of school and, and understand you have as much to learn from them as anyone else, then I think you know, those are the two sort of skills that I think are more universal, not really to our business, uh, per se, or, or limited to our business, but I think leading and learning for me, uh, along with the addiction to the problem solving and creativity, you know, the recipe for success. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. And I wanted to stay on, you know, so you, you mentioned some of the great partners you currently work with, mm -hmm. uh, your, your entry in, into the industry, but if you had to look back, what, what comes to mind as a, a shining moment in, in, you know, your career for you? whether it's you know here or at another company man um we're going deep this is the we're going deep questions here a shining moment i i think i probably and i and i recently gave this i recently um uh, did a session at, at northwestern university where i was talking to to students and there was a a similar question where they were they were asking about the, the moments that mattered um, in, in your career. And, and I'll, I don't want to be inconsistent here and I'll say the same thing that I said then, which is they all matter, right? Like um, 
anyone, anyone that's ever had a really bad job, I mean, right, like we all know what, what those feel like, right? Where you're, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. You learn just as much from that horrible experience, I think, as you do from being in the right place with the right people in the right job, right? It's, it's not as pleasant, but you learn as much. And so if I think back to like trying to pick a pivotal moment, I'd say that they're, they're, they're pivotal for different reasons. So I, I think I mentioned that, or I don't think I actually mentioned that I started off, you know, started my adventure on the creative side, right? I wanted to be a copywriter. Um, I wouldn't change that ingoing mindset. Like that, that made me much more sensitive to uh, the, the folks that I, that I work with who are on the creative side. Um, I actually also got to work when, when, I, when I switched over to the account side early in my career, it was, I worked a lot in direct mail, worked a lot um, pre-email. Uh, so worked a lot in, in direct mail, but that was my first foray into big data. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that at all because it, it shaped the way my brain thinks about data at a very early age. So I think that was another sort of point in my career where, uh, and ironically enough, I actually worked on uh, Yellow Pages directories as part of that uh, venture. So I worked on a telecom. So we worked on, you know, vertical services and horizontal services and directories. Um, but there was a lot of data in telco, right? And you're working with a lot of data in telco. And then I, and then I got to actually at like age 20, what was it, 20? 27, somewhere around in my mid-20s, I actually got an opportunity to go to a startup, a startup agency. You know, I think, I think fewer than, well, very few people worked there at the time. And I was leaving a major, a major agency uh, to, to go over there and, and, and take that risk. And honestly, one of the best decisions of my life, because it not only, not only did I happen to end up working with some of the brightest people in the industry who have gone on to lead some of the biggest agencies in the country and in the world uh, from that little shop in, in Dallas, Texas. But uh, I also, you know, got to see the business side of the industry, which I think is a piece that uh, you guys probably see it at, at, at your company, right? So you're seeing not only working with clients, but you've also got to run your business, right? And in the agency side, not everybody in the agency runs the business. And that, and that was an opportunity for me uh, to see that agency grow from, you know, six people to, you know, over 250 people and three offices and, and uh, you know, that, that probably shaped me more than anything else because it was both sides of the business working with clients as well as, uh, you know, kind of owning a business. So, so you mentioned the idea of constantly learning and also with your own experience going from Yellow Pages to now MarTech, AdTech. What do you think a marketer needs to be doing to be constantly be successful and agile and learning? Yeah, I think uh, to constantly be agile and learning, I think one, like I mentioned, it's it's about just adopting that mindset, right? And and understanding that you your success depends on it. Um, you know, if, if you're not, I think I said every every category that I work in, right, is is evolving every day. The, the, the category that I work in as a as an agency, but also the categories that I work on, right, in terms of our, our clients, they're all evolving and changing every day. If you're not agile enough to evolve with that, 
then ultimately the consumers are just gonna to choose to do business with another brand, right? And if we're on the hook for driving growth for our clients by bringing unexpected creative solutions to their problems and we're not being agile, then every day we're, you know, we're sort of, if we're not changing, we're, you know, we're, we're staying the same and we're falling behind. So yeah, I think it's, it's adopt the mindset and understand that whether you do or not, right? Whether you're agile or not has no effect on whether everybody else is or not. So you'd better be. You see, our producers tell us you also have your own podcast, uh, Awakening Consciousness. Would love to learn a little bit more about that. So that's actually a question that I think I had, I had taken out of the list because that's not me. Ah. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Well, that's why. All right. Well, producers, we can, edit. Poetically on it. Yeah. We, we, can edit, uh, we can edit that one out. No worries. Well, you know, we just gave you a podcast. Yeah, there's your, there's your podcast. <laughs> I know. Is right? that like a different information? Yeah, it's weird where that came from. Well, somewhere there's somebody that has that podcast. It's like, wait a second. I've worked very wait. hard on that. They just yeah, wait a What are you doing? It's like, <laughs> when we mentioned it, they get new listeners. They're like, what <laughs> happened? You know? No uh, problem, yeah. Jesse. We'll edit that out. So. No worries. All right. So I'll just kind of uh, take it from the top then and ask a different question. So. Uh, Jesse, one of our staple questions on our podcast is asking uh, the guest about their LinkedIn messages that they get. And I'm sure with your title, you get a lot of uh, unsolicited messages. So I'd love to know what's a message that gets your attention and what's one, more importantly, that really drives you crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I get a lot of messages from LinkedIn. I feel like uh, since the pandemic, I get, you know, many, many more. I don't know if the, if the filter's just a little bit looser or what, but I probably get 10 a day, right? Uh, and that's through the filter. If I'm looking in the ones that don't get through, it's probably close to a hundred. So what gets my attention? You know, honestly, I feel like it's, it's basic human insight. Um, what gets my attention is send me something unexpected that's genuinely for my benefit. And I usually respond or at least read it, right? You, you've either got my attention or you've got my response because you've given me something of value information or, or whatever, but you've done it for my benefit. I feel like the ones that never get my attention or time or response are the ones that are so very clearly only about the need of the sender. And if I had to take that and extrapolate it to the worst version of that, it's the casual meeting request that's so assumptive, right? Like the how's Tuesday for, for the meeting where you're literally trying to, to book something on my calendar without <laughs> me knowing anything about you, without knowing you know, what you do, who you are, how you'd be relevant. You don't know anything about me. I, 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 you know, tell the people I work with, I said, it, it makes you feel like you're the only single person at bar in the bar on closing time, right? And you're like, really, is it that obvious? Like, am I the one person here that needs what you have to sell? So I'd, I'd say, um, I feel like we've lost the art of that as well. Like understanding that it's not just a cold, like I don't mind cold calls, but please make it, make it about me, not about you, right? It, it's not, it shouldn't be that hard. I mean, it's a basic principle that, that we use in terms of, of 
you know, our creativity and, and I talk about that unexpected creativity, like it, it needs to be unexpected to break through, but it can't be irrelevant, right? It can't be completely absent of any insight into the, into the end user or the audience. Otherwise you get the reaction that, that I typically give, which is delete. And we all have a delete button mm -hmm. that works really, really fast. <laughs> yep. Yeah. If you don't like it, delete it. You don't want to watch it. Don't watch it. Exactly. Yeah. Like the world has made it easy for us to ignore stuff and not enough marketers adhere to that, to, to, to that, or admit and understand that, that it's far easier to ignore something than it is to pay attention. So you'd better make it important enough or at least unexpected enough, entertaining enough, insightful enough that I want to give you my time. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, that, that's kind of, you know, it mimics what a lot of the, uh, our guests are saying. It, it's kind of, you know, look, make, make it relevant. Um, and you don't need to reach out to me 46 times, right? If I'm not interested after a few, just don't reach out. Exactly. You talked a lot about, uh, you know, uh, identity solutions and, and identity graphs. And, and you know, <laughs> I think some of that starts with, you know, some of that starts with understanding the fact that, I actually do have an identity. It's not just an, it's it's not just a um, aggregation of data that makes me who I am, right? When you when you build that audience, when you build that target, when you when you assemble that, you're trying to get insight into somebody's motivations, right? Or or why or building a propensity model that would say this person is more likely to act because of what? Well, now that you know that send them something that has to do with that and send it in yes. a really unexpected way that breaks through. Um, don't just put together the identity graph. Don't just put together the data and say, now we can measure, right, accurately. Yeah. Like it, it's also about the messaging that you're measuring the responsiveness to. Yep, exactly. Don't just assume I live in New York City. Oh, I'm a Mets fan. Uh, I mean, exactly. You know, uh, and it's like, no, it's like, uh, well, how do you know I'm not? I like a totally different team. You know, it's just don't assume because I live here. I got it. I love it. Uh, Jesse, talk to us about, uh, you know, yourself. What do you like doing for fun as we're winding down here? And that I'd love, you know, I'm going to tell people I want to then understand some of your ideal you know, customers, what they look like. I want to get that out there for the people to contact you. But uh, Jesse, about yourself, what do you enjoy doing uh, besides rooting on the Dallas Cowboys when they're beating up on my Giants <laughs> in uh, Chicago? And yeah, what brought I, you to Chicago? What brought me to Chicago? Yeah. So I actually came to Chicago because I had an, uh, well, I guess the real reason I came to Chicago, I'll say, is my wife. Um, so my wife is from Chicago. And like a lot of people, um, you know, our, our oldest kid was getting to the age where we were figuring out school for the long term and where we're going to be and didn't want to move later. And, and so Chicago was a great market for us to come to because of, you know, the size of the market, what I do. Um, yeah, my wife could do what she does uh, here easily as well. So, you know, we had family, wanted to surround them with family and, and grow up and not move around the world. And that's what we did. So came to Chicago. I will say I, I, there's a lot of things I, I love about Chicago. I will never get used to the Chicago winners. Yeah. I do not I like the that. Chicago winners. We are getting to that time of year where, you know, the leaves start falling off the trees just as a, it's sort of like the warning sign, you know, winter is coming, yeah. right? <laughs> yep. Winter is coming. Winter yeah. is coming. Chicago is the original Game of Thrones. Exactly. Yeah, it's like that. The original Game of Thrones and it is not coming. <laughs> 
So yeah. So what do I do to uh, to sort of unwind and 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 you know remove myself from the world of marketing? I, you know, I have I have two kids. Um, you know, they've both been in, in competitive sports and their activities. So that takes a lot of the time. But if I have two selfish indulgences, it's probably um, probably working out. I, I tend to think that's that's always been one of those things that I've I've loved to do because it's it's a it's almost like a really selfish uh, venture that has a, a benefit, right? To to it, it's it's sort of not not a vice that that has a, a an adverse effect. It's actually I can I can go whole away and and work out and sort of clear my mind and and shed the stress of the day. And there's actually a benefit on the back end in terms of my health. So I've always loved that. I've also loved I think part of building brands um, and that mindset of of building things incrementally over time um, sort of plays out in, in my hobbies where I, you know, working out and fitness uh, is sort of something you incrementally add on to and, and get better at over, over the years. And then I enjoy woodworking when I get a chance to do it. Um, enjoy, again, the, the process of taking something raw that isn't yet something and going through the steps to methodically get it to a point where it's actually uh, something of value and something, you know, something that has utility and value. So there's, there's something sort of very Zen about woodworking to me. And, yeah. and it mimics what you do in, in your uh, career there. So that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, uh, Jesse, thanks so much for sharing that. And uh, you know, also ddb.com, ladies and gentlemen, reach out, uh, you know, helping B2B and B2C, uh, you know, brands, clients, uh, you know, multi-facets of marketing, uh, creativity, branding, reach out, uh, check them out, ddb.com. That is Jesse Bayer, ladies and gentlemen. I am Vincent Petrofessa. That's AJ Gupta. This has been another episode of Starista's The Marketing Stir. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to The Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at themarketingstir at starista.com. And thanks for listening.